And so this morning, we will be uh, studying the chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians. And uh, what I've titled the message this morning is actually Clearing Up Confusion. And you may uh, have the question in your mind, like, what's the confusion going to be about? But if you've read ahead in your Bibles at all, in chapter 11, you'll see that there's quite a bit of confusion there. There's some cultural information, there's some things that Paul says, and you're just like, what are you talking about? And so this morning, we're going to try and clear up the confusion. And Paul's trying to do that in the Corinthian church. Uh, Paul's got a group of believers who, many of them are young believers, They were not raised in church. They were raised going to the pagan temples, sacrificing to idols, committing sexual immorality as acts of religion. And because of that, they're confused about the roles, not roles in the church like we would think, not roles in their jobs or in society, but roles in a simple place called home, roles in a simple place called the church. What are men's and women's roles? Now, this is a touchy topic because in our culture, uh, men and women are supposed to be equal. And what I mean by equal is not how God created them as equals. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 actually says there's no, in Christ there's no male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, uh, Scythian nor slave. It's, it's all one. No matter what people group, no matter what gender, no matter what ethnicity, whatever. God was the first equal opportunity employer. And he really is an equal opportunity person because he so loved the entire world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That includes black people. That includes uh, Syrians. That includes uh, white guys like me, mutts. That includes uh, people that are in countries we've never heard of. And that includes male and female. And so because of that, Paul wants to clear up the confusion. He wants to set the order straight. And in any society, in any group of people, there is an order of authority, whether you believe that or not. In this case, in the church, there's an order of authority that God has set up that gets our feathers a little ruffled up if we're from one gender or another because of our preconceived ideas about what's fair. And so before we start, I want to point out that Paul's going to put this in there, that just because someone has authority over another does not make them inferior. Let me repeat that. Just because God has set a certain order, a certain person to follow another, does not make that person inferior. I would even go to say that it takes more faith to follow than it does to lead. It takes more faith sometimes to follow than it does to lead because the leader knows what's going on and sometimes the follower follows not knowing what's going on and they're supposed to follow anyway in God's economy. And so with all that being said, let's start reading our passage because we'll get into the confusion and hopefully clear it up. Paul completed his message last week in chapter 10 by really in the chapter break i mentioned last week that the chapter breaks and the verse breaks are not necessarily divinely inspired though the words are second timothy says god breathed they're god inspired and so in chapter 11 verse 1 he completed his statement by saying imitate me just as i also imitate christ now this particular phrase could go with his previous chapters teaching where he's talking about 
imitating the way that he follows Christ and the, being willing to give up his rights in order to serve and surrender his calling to the Lord. He's talked to them about giving up their rights for the sake of others coming to know Jesus. And, and in this case, he was talking about eating meat sacrificed to idols. But this week, since we studied that last week, we won't get into it. This week, he starts talking about order within the church. He talks about how we are to conduct ourselves in God's holy church. So in verse 2, he says, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Now, this word for traditions is not something that we just continue to do perpetually just because we've always done them that way. Traditions aren't always bad. In this case, these are traditions, teachings, doctrines that were handed down from Jesus to the apostles and then taught to the church as teachings that we are to follow. He says, I praise you, brethren. He's talking to believers. He says, I praise you, brethren, the believers there in the Corinthian church, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions, the teachings, just as I delivered them to you. And the word there for um, traditions is actually teaching that's handed down by word of mouth. It's spoken into your lives. And many times, because we don't listen to what God has taught us from his word and then give it to others so they can follow it as well, because of that, we don't remember it. It's hard to remember things that you don't put to practice. To believe something and not to do it means you don't really believe it. And so he says, you've kept these traditions just as I delivered them to you. Now, there are some commentators that actually uh, conjecture a little bit and they say, well, this is a note from Paul. He's being sarcastic because there's so many divisions in the Corinthian church that they were following whatever they wanted to do and not necessarily following the teaching of God. So Paul's writing in to them in this letter to correct them in many ways for the false things they've been doing. But he says there in verse 3, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, this is a tough passage, right? Because in our society, we want to say, well, um, women can do just as much as man can. And though in many ways they can, in some ways they surpass us men, what I will say is that it's God's plan for men to lead. And he gives three examples there. He says, but I want you to know. In other words, I don't want you to be ignorant. Not in the sense of, hey, you're foolish, but I don't want you to be unaware. I want you to be well-educated in this area. The head of every man is Christ. So if the head of every man is Christ, what does that mean? Does that mean that when you see me, when I become a believer, all of a sudden you, you see a hologram of Christ's face over my head? Or does it mean something different? What does the head do in a person's body? It has the brain, the control center of the entire body. And wherever the eyes look, that's where the body can go to. It sees things that in order to avoid tripping, uh, your eyes see something and they tell the brain, hey, pick up your feet taller this time so you don't trip. And so the, the head is the control center of the body. And whatever the head tells the body to do, that's what it does. It follows the head's lead. And in the same way, when someone gets something broken in their body, whether it's by a car wreck 
or by some sort of trauma to the, the spinal cord. What is that spinal cord? But it's a, a translation. It's a highway for the brain to be able to tell all the extremities of the body what to do. So when that spinal cord gets broken, what happens to the body? It can no longer follow the lead of its head. And many times, because we don't have a connection with our head, we can't follow our head's lead. Now, obviously, most of us, all of us today, we're able to walk in the doors because our spinal cord is connected to our brain. And our brain said, step one foot in front of the other. And all the things that we did leading up to this time, get out of bed. And then your body gets up and it gets out of bed. Whether it wants to or not, it has to because the brain said, get up. Now, my brain didn't say get up as early as it should have because guess what? My power went out this morning. So my ears didn't hear the alarm clock. And because they didn't have the, hear the alarm clock, they didn't respond to the noise and then tell the brain, that beeping noise that's annoying you means to get up. And so there was a disconnect. And many times, we don't set our alarm spiritually. And because of that, we don't get up. We don't get up when the Lord says go. Now, we've been saved by God's grace. To those of us who call ourselves and are disciples of Jesus, our head is Christ. Every man's head is Christ. He's laying down a principle here. So then he says, So the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. So to someone who is more leans towards the side of feminism and says, well, I can do whatever man can. That's fine. But what God says is, if you're going to follow me, the head of every woman is Christ. And he's talking about the picture of marriage. To those who are married, they've decided, I'm going to lay down my will and I'm going to follow you, husband. And because of that following, they have said, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Just like the book of Ruth. Wherever you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And, and so there's that submission. Now, submission's a bad word, right? Because it means that I'm giving up my rights to follow somebody that I may not agree with. Well, if you can't see yourself surrendering to a man and, and following his lead, let me tell you something. Women, don't get married. Don't get married because that is God's plan for your life in a relationship that's going to honor the Lord. Now, he says here, the head of Christ is God. So look at that. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the same way that he's called us to follow or submit to some. Everybody submits to somebody. Men, you're supposed to follow Jesus. And your family's supposed to follow you as you do that. If you don't follow Jesus, and, and because of that, you go off the cliff of destruction, guess where your family's going to go? If they're obeying the, the word of the Lord, you're, they're going to follow you, and you're going to lead them off a cliff. So this is important, right? And it's important, ladies, that you look for a man that loves Jesus more than he loves you. Because if he loves Jesus more than he loves you, he's going to lead you in the way of everlasting, no matter what you think. And that's a blessing, even though it may not feel like it sometimes. So then, he says, the head of Christ is God. Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, his life was fully surrendered to doing whose will? The Father's will, not his own. Even Jesus was submitted and surrendered to following someone greater. Now, 
Let me ask you a trick question here. Is Jesus greater, is the Father greater than Jesus? No. But in the Godhead, in the plan of salvation, the order was that Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Anything that glorified the Father, he would do. Anything the Father told him to do, he would do. Does that make Jesus inferior to God, the Father? No. No, because he's still completely God. God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Equally God across the board, and yet different roles in the Godhead. We won't talk about the Trinity this morning, but that's, that's powerful. Because if Jesus surrendered to following the will of the Father, that submission, that surrender to the point of death shows us something that we can take home and apply in our own homes is that the wife, if she will surrender to submit to her husband, she can bring glory to God in that. It blows my mind. And many times as a husband and as a dad, this is humbling because my, my wife will follow me. And there are times that she will bring up things in um, respect and in humility to make sure that I'm walking the way that I should, and she's there for that. But ultimately, if I don't follow the Lord, or if I do follow the Lord, I'm accountable to Him. He is my head. And if I tell my head no, that means I could get hurt. Just like when Lucy, my little two-year-old, she's standing there, and we say, Lucy, do not touch that. It will hurt you. And she says what? No. Because she's two, and that's what two-year-olds do. They push the boundaries. So they grab the thing that you told them not to, and then they burn themselves. And then they come crying. It's really hard, really hard to love them at that moment because you're just like, I hate that you're hurt, but I told you. I warned you. I love you. I'm not telling you these things to to be a bummer. I'm telling you these things because I love you enough to warn you. I love you enough to make you mad at me so you won't get hurt. And so we, in the same way, need to look at God's order and go, if God has shown me as a wife or as a daughter submitted to my, my dad, if God has shown me that the best way to keep safe is to follow the leading of these men that God's placed over me in my life, then who am I to tell him no when he loves me and has my best interest at heart? And so that's the theme of all today's confusion. That order. If things would be in that proper order in our society, the family unit is the single cell organism of our society. And if we would follow this simple precept, things would be totally different. Husbands that were sinning against their wives and leading their family down the wrong path would be convicted of it because of the submission of their wives following them wherever they went. They would follow them as unto the Lord, not unto sin, but following them where they take them. And what's cool is that when a wife is surrendered to her husband and prays for him and loves him like God's called her to, husbands look at that and it just breaks them down. It humbles them. It brings them to their knees because they watch that they are the problem when there's problems in their family. So, verse 4, he goes on to this cultural note from verse 4 to about verse 7, and he talks about head coverings. So just listen 
be patient with me and I'll try to kind of unpack what he's saying here. He says in verse four, every man praying or prophesying have his has his excuse me, having his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Okay, so what in the world is that? He's talking about head coverings. I don't know about you guys, but the first thing that my mind goes to when I hear about head coverings, I think about the Middle East. If you go to an Arabic or Islamic country where Islam is the ruling factor, you're going to go there and you're going to see all kinds of men wearing these big, long, white robes. You see these women that are covered in all black and their faces, you can only see their eyes. And what they've done is they've said, you know what? We rule over our women and they are property to us and no one can look at them but us. And that's just how they roll. There's no qualms. There's no questions. If she rebels against him, she can be put to death by him. So, but that's not what this is about. In verse 4 through 7, he's laying down a cultural issue that's going on in their specific society. He's talking about head coverings. And he's talking about roles of women and men in the church. Now, I don't know what background you come from or what churches you've been to or not been to, but there are certain churches that say if you are a woman, you cannot speak in church. As a matter of fact, they forbid it. There will be church discipline if you do. We are not one of those churches. I'll start by saying that. And the reason is because Paul here lays down a principle and he says, if men speak in prayer or prophecy in front of the church, this is how they should not do it. And if women do so, this is how they should not do it. So that implies to me he wouldn't lay down that principle if it was not allowed that women speak or pray or teach any, any form or fashion in church. So he's not saying that you cannot speak in church. And many women get straight into that portion and they go, oh, what a chauvinist. I can't even speak. What's the purpose of me going? But he's not saying that. So what he's saying is that if a woman, excuse me, he says in verse four, every man praying or prophesying the forth telling of the word of God, like I'm doing right now, this is considered biblical prophecy, not me for foretelling, like telling the future, but me telling what's in God's word and making it applicable to our daily lives. That's a, a part, portion of what God says in, in prophecy. But he says there, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. To cover up the head of man is dishonoring to God because God has made man in his image in his image, he made man to glorify himself through the daily decisions and the way he carries himself as a godly man. You and I, as we follow Christ, men, we portray to the world, we are an image. We're like what's going on in the computer. The computer program going on, and it sends an image up to the projector, and the projector shows it so everyone can see it. And we, because we're plugged into the Lord, we're following his word. When we practice what he teaches us, what we're supposed to do, 
what we project in our lives is the image of our creator. That is not the program itself. It's just an image portrayed up there from that program. And in the same way, we are not God himself, but we portray the characteristics and the attributes of God by our daily living. So then he says in verse 5, But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, uncovered dishonors her head. And he says that because in their culture, if a woman were seen out and about with no covering on her head or a veil, like we think of a veil in, uh, in a wedding ceremony, the closest thing that we have to compare to this is a wedding ring. This wedding ring, if you see it on a woman's hand or on a man's hand, what does it tell you about that person? That they are married, that they're taken, that they are, their, their life is given to, to this one person, forsaking all others. And marriage is meant to be between two people man and wife. And so as a result of that, he's saying in that culture, if a woman, she's free in Christ, she no longer has to follow what people think of her. But in that culture, if she was to walk down the street and not have a head covering on, that implied one of two things. Either she was not married or, and sometimes both, she was an immoral woman. She was a prostitute. She was an adulterer. She was someone that was a priestess in some of the pagan temples. And so it portrayed the wrong thing. So if a woman to were, were to walk out of church, have no head covering on, walk out into society, and implied that Jesus Christ had saved her, and now she's a prostitute. Now, was she a prostitute? No. But by the way that she clothed or did not clothe herself, it implied something else gave the wrong idea and we have the same thing in our culture if a woman is to come into church and be barely clothed what do you assume about her she's probably someone that's immoral or loose living someone that wants to show her stuff but what the lord says is we as christians know that marriage that the relationship between a man and a woman is supposed to be intimate and so that veil only comes off before her husband that clothing, that covering is meant to be one of humbleness and respect and dignity. And so he says, you ought to live as though you were covered. For if a woman, verse 6, he starts to expound or expand upon this idea. If a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. If she's not wearing a veil, let her also have her head shaved. Why? Because in Jewish society... If a woman was caught in adultery, if she was not stoned to death, which the law said she could be, she would have her head shaved. It was a sign of dis They would shame her. So if you saw a woman with a shaved head, you'd go, adulterer. That would be your first thought. It would just, that's what you would know about her. You wouldn't have to ask her. You wouldn't have to talk to anybody. Everyone would know. And so he said, if you're going to walk around with your head un uncovered, why don't you just go ahead and shave it because you look like a prostitute? Now, that's kind of harsh words, right? But Paul's just putting it there so that there's no confusion. This is the reason I want you to have your head covered. Because it implies to the world, if you've got your head uncovered, that you're an immoral person and God, I know better. God has changed you. He's redeemed you. He's cleansed you of all unrighteousness. Why would you dress as if you were going to sleep around? 
And if you're sleeping around, stop it. God has done something new. Don't forsake what God has changed about you. You have worth because you're a child of Jesus Christ. He died for you. He died for your sins. Now, dress like it. Be clothed like it. But we know that God's not all about the externals. He doesn't care what you wear. We're free in Christ. I can show up and wear a hat. You can show up and not wear a hat. So where's the application? Well, God's interested in the heart, right? He wants us to be clothed with humility. He wants us to be clothed with righteousness. He wants us to walk around with purity. And that purity, that humility can only come from a heart that has surrendered to following him and only caring what he thinks above all else. And so in verse 6, excuse me, verse 7, he says, For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, excuse me, for man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman was actually created for man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So he starts in verse 7 and he says, man is the glory and the image of God. Well, where is he getting this? Is this something that Paul just dreamed up and said, you just got to believe what I'm telling you just because? Or is he laying down a biblical principle that he's learned elsewhere? Well, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Because in here, this should dispel all the confusion. Because God laid it out plainly. And he made sure that someone penned it down so that you and I would be able to know what his original intention was for man and woman. His original intention. Not what we think, not what movies tell us, not what our friends say, not what society says, not what the laws even say, but what God ordained. What he laid out as the pattern for those who would follow and obey him. So in Genesis chapter 1, in verse 27, it says there, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. So he's not talking about man, like Steve's a man, or I'm a man, or Jesse's a man, or any of you that are men. He's not talking about gender male. He's talking about mankind, man and woman, man. And when he uses that word there, he says, let us make man in our image. The word is Adam. Did you know that the name Adam actually means man? So he says there in verse 27, God created Adam in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. So at this point, there is no female or male. It's just Adam. But we know that at a certain point, God spoke to Adam. He said, hey, there's, and Adam even noticed. He's like, hey, all the animals, they have male and female. Uh, where, where's my female? Well, Adam was still one. And so there in Genesis chapter 2, it says there in verse 7, and the Lord God for, formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. So, still one at that time. The Lord God planted in a garden eastward in Eden, 
And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow that's pleasant to the sight, good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there we have the original. Now go down to verse 18, and it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, or individual, by himself. He says, I will make him, and this is the word that a lot of ladies don't like, because it sounds inferior, he says, I will make him a helper, a helper, a co-responder, a, a joint heir of the kingdom of God, someone who is equal and comparable to him. And so he says there, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. Think about that. The names of the animals, Adam got to pick them. So if you ever think like, how did he come up with rhino? Where do you even come up with that? Or giraffe? You know, does it mean something I don't know about? Well, Adam came up with them. He got that dignity. He got to, to name them. So Adam gave names to them. And then the end of that verse says, Adam, excuse me, but for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs, he closed up the flesh in its place and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to man. So he took woman out of man so he says there, woman didn't come from man, or excuse me, man didn't come from woman, but woman came from man. But also notice that when God took woman out of man, then he brought her back to him. And look at his response. Verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That's what woman means, out of man, out of Adam. Now, this is kind of confusing. What's he saying? This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I'm going to give you my translation. Wow. You know, you've seen this response when, you know, eighth grade kids go back to school and they see some girl that they've never met before. In Farmington, what happened when I was going to school there is that after, um, at the time, they didn't have middle school age. So I went to school with all the kids in elementary school and then we got to middle school all of a sudden, there were all these people we didn't know. Well, they transferred over from St. Paul. So we weren't used to seeing them. We didn't know them from first grade. And then there'd be all these girls, and you're like, wow. You know, you just, that's what guys do. They, they're very visual. And so Adam, in the same way as an eighth grade boy, looks over, and he sees this woman that was brought out of him. And he says, wow, look what God has done. He's brought me a helper Someone comparable to me, someone I can share life with, someone that can help me uh, do what God's given me to do, master, manage, and multiply. God said, master the land, manage it, and multiply your fruitfulness. Like, create other beings, not create so much as be fruitful, multiply, have children, give them in marriage, and, and continue to follow what I've given you to do. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, 
and they shall become one. So in order to become one, they had to become two. God brought them back together and they were married and they become one flesh. Now they were that way in the beginning, right? But two sides to a coin. Both of them have different attributes that the other one does not. But they both are there to be supporters of one another, not to be at odds with one another. But where have you heard this verse 24 before? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In Matthew, Jesus said it. But also, we mostly hear it in weddings, right? Every time. If it's a Christian marriage, you ought to hear that. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and become one flesh with his wife. Cleave to her. Cling to her. Be one. Separate from the nest. Be their own entity. Learn to walk through life together. And so this is God's precept. But here's a portion of it. It's just a traditional thing. It's, it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of just a picture of this woman coming to be given to her husband. And just like God did in the beginning, God brought man to the wo- or woman to man and gave her to him as a gift. And in the same way in the marriage ceremony, the, the dad ends up playing kind of the role symbolically of God saying, here's, here's your wife. But notice here, because remember, this is, this is paradise. This was the beginning. This was before sin entered. And then this wife that God gave her, gave to him, looked at the tree, saw that it looked like it'd be good to eat, and then Satan came along and tempted her. And she ate of the fruit. Adam knew that it was not okay to eat the fruit. Eve ate the fruit. She was tempted. She was pulled away. And so in the same way, then Adam, in this spot, he, he could either obey God or he can obey his wife. And he chose wrongly. He obeyed his wife. She led for one moment and he followed and sin entered in through Adam. And he's responsible because he knew better. So men, follow Jesus, love him more than you love your wife. And as a result, you're going to be obedient to the Lord. Now, there are many times where your wife is right. Make sure you're following the Lord. But what I wanted to say was, look at the curse because of the fall. Verse 14 of Genesis chapter 3. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you're cursed more than all cattle. Talking about tempting his creation. And more than every beast of the field, on your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The promise of the Savior coming through the seed of the woman. We celebrate that at Christmas. The seed of the woman. She was conceived by the Holy Spirit. No man was involved. It was a divine conception and because of that the seed bruises the head of the serpent jesus beating satan and evil and death and then he says to the woman he says i will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain you shall bring forth children and we're all fully aware of that we've heard of labor or carrying a baby it's not fun it's painful at times 
It's a trial. But also notice this. He says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, this desire he's talking about is not your desire will be for your husband. You're going to think he's great and you're going to want him. That's not it. Your desire will be to rule over your husband. Your desire will be to supplant him and to lead him instead of letting him lead, even though sometimes husbands aren't so great to follow. Your desire will be to rule over him. And it says here, and he shall rule over you. He's, gonna, he's supposed to be the one that you're supposed to follow, and you're not going to like it, even though it's God's order, even though it's God's will. And so this is all a part of the curse. And so if people are against this teaching that Paul's giving in 1 Corinthians 11, it doesn't surprise me at all, because that's what God said would happen. But nonetheless, this is God's perfect will for the marriage life, and it's his perfect will even in the leadership of the church. And so Paul is laying down a principle here. Just because you're, a fo- you're called to follow does not mean you're inferior. If we can each obey our portion in God's church and in marriage, God will be glorified. Men, if you will provide a place and a space, and you'll follow Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you'll lead your family in that same faith, God's going to bless your socks off. doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but God's going to bless you. And then if your family, if your wife specifically will follow you and submit to your leading as you follow Christ, what you'll find is that she'll be blessed too. She'll find joy and contentment in, in being that helper, that helpmate. And so he says in verse 7, a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and the glory of God. He By his very character as a godly man, he portrays the character attributes of the Lord. But woman is the glory of man. Proverbs chapter 31 speaks to this. I didn't mark my page, but I'm going to turn there because I think it's important. Sometimes you make all your notes and you're like, hey, I'm going to go to this and I'm going to go to that. And sometimes you're like, I didn't write this down, but it needs to be said. So, he says in verse 10 of Proverbs 31, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ships she brings her food from afar. She also rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She she works long hours, but it's a labor of love. I lost my place. She stretches out her hand, verse 19, to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. In other words, she's not idle, but she uses her time to support and to take care of her family. 
She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple, the color of royalty. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth and she has wisdom pour out. And on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. I like that. She doesn't eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and they call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. Notice men, he praises her with words. We need to do that. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Let me ask you, does that show inferiority or does that show strength? That's a lot of stuff to do. But she doesn't do this stuff because she has to. She does this stuff because she wants to. She wants to serve and love and take care of her family. And as she does that, and as she submits to the to the leading of her husband, what you'll find is that ladies will find purpose and meaning that men never will in their lives. But all of this is by faith and following the order that God has laid out. Verse 10, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Many people talk about this verse and there's ad nauseum commentaries on what this means. But let me submit to you simply that our life, the things that are going on that we can see, are just, just a small percentage of what's really going on in the heavenlies. And that every time that the church gathers, every time that you sit at home and talk about the Lord and you're serving in your jobs, that there are, are not only people there, but there are angels of the Lord invited into your daily lives that watch how you either submit to and follow the Lord in submission or how you disobey the Lord. And he says there, in verse 10, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Anyone who has authority only gets it from the Lord. And so your authority to follow and submit and serve and support your husband and the goals of your family is something that God has given. And the angels marvel at this because when they see us obeying the Lord, it, it encourages them because they look at our salvation, First Peter teaches, they look at our salvation and they go, what is in them that God sees that he would send his son to die in their place? They marvel. They see what God has done for us and they're just dumbfounded. Why would God do that? How could God love them so much? We didn't get a second chance. Angels don't get salvation offered to them. They either disobey or they obey the Lord. And the ones who disobeyed were cast out of heaven. The, the lake of burning fire was made for Satan and his henchmen. And those henchmen are fallen angels that at one time surrendered to following the Lord. But that's for another study. Nevertheless, verse 11, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. So lest any man that knows the Lord and follows him would use this teaching to put his wife under his thumb and say, you do this, you do this. Or for women to, to as a knee-jerk reaction, say, men, I'm not good. Here's what he says to kind of bring it all together. You are to be submitted to one another. 
He says, nevertheless, neither is a man in men are not independent from women and women are not independent and in the Lord. If you're following the Lord, you're not independent from your wife. And if you're following the Lord, you're not independent from your husband. And if you're not married, the head of your head is Christ. You're to follow him. You're to obey him. You are literally wedded to Christ. He is your husband. Follow him in like manner. I know it's very easy to kind of get caught up in the marriage relationship. I realize not everybody's married. So in that case, ladies, Jesus is your husband. Love him. Support his goals for this earth. Do all that you can to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do everything you can to please him in your daily life. Verse 12, for as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. So if you think you can live independent from one sex or the other, he says, woman came through man. Remember that. Eve was created out of the side of Adam. Woman came from man. And in the same way, man comes through woman now, right? There's not a man walking around that doesn't need a woman. Because if you didn't have women, you wouldn't have been born. So you need your mom. You need a godly woman in your life. If you don't have a godly uh, woman who is a motherly figure to you, God will provide for you that. He has for me. Now my mom has a walk with the Lord, so I'm not saying that. But there are other ladies that God has used as godly women in my life that are older than me, that can speak things into my life like a mom. So God provides those things. But he says here, all things are from God. Verse 13, we'll close it up. He says, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. So he's laid down this principle of headship, leadership, authority, talking about man being under the authority of God himself and woman being under the authority of man. And then, uh, what was the third one? And Christ being under the headship or the leadership, the authority of God the Father. But then he says, now that he's given us this teaching and he's taught it to us from Scripture, he says, now, take that aside. Say we didn't have Scripture. How could we tell that God has laid out authority in a certain way? He says, look at men and look at women. Now, I know that there are some men who grow long hair. At one point, I had really long hair. And having long hair as a man is not a sin. That's not what he's teaching. But what he's saying is men, by nature, usually keep their hair shorter. And men, or women, by nature, usually have their hair longer. And all he's implying by that is he's saying it's just showing nature's way through God's creation that God has already provided a a covering for women. Women's hair grow faster. It just does. And men, as we get older, I know a lot of you don't show it, but the hair stops to grow. Now, I've been blessed with a receding hairline for my whole life. And if I were to grow my hair long, and I continue to lose it at the rate I am, you would see the beautiful and awkward skullet. You'd see the bald head with the long hair. Is that an honor to me? No, it's a dishonor to me. People should be talking to me and going, dude, you got to do something else. 
something else. That is wrong right there. But when we see women with long flowing hair, it's a glory to them. And I listened to one gentleman by the name of Ray Steadman. He died in 1992, and his mom was living in his home at the time, and he was teaching this passage. And he said, my mom is 91 years old, and she has a full head of hair, and there's not even any gray in it. But when she just lets it down, she kept it up in a bun all the time because it's easier, right? But she had long, flowing hair, and he said, it's a glory to her. It's a covering. God has given her. It's, it's a beautiful attribute. But like I said, he's not talking about what length of hair you have. What he's talking about is what we're clothed in. We're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. We are surrendered to following him. When we follow the Lord, when we submit to his plan, even though it doesn't make sense in our culture, you know who's glorified? Well, it's not necessarily us. They see that we march to a different drum. They see that we follow the authority of a king that's not of this world. It doesn't make any sense to them. It opens their eyes to that there might be a leader that they've not yet met and decided to follow. And I say that because in Matthew chapter 8, we, for time's sake, we don't have time to go there this morning, there was a centurion that came to Jesus. And one of his, one of his uh, he was either a soldier or someone that, that was in his command under his authority, was sick. It was his servant. And because of that, he came to Jesus. Do you know why he came to Jesus? He wasn't a Jew. He was a Roman soldier. He came to Jesus because he looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus isn't following some earthly kingdom. Jesus has authority and power that I've never seen before. And so he said to Jesus, I've got this servant and he's sick. Can you heal him? And Jesus said, I'll come. And Jesus was going to go to where the servant was. He was headed there. He started taking steps in that direction. And that man said to him, he said, you can just say the word, I know it about you. You can say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. He said, just say the word and I know he'll be healed. And Jesus marveled. He's like, I've never seen faith in all of Israel in what I can do. And yet this man who has no history of faith whatsoever see, saw his life that he was surrendered to following the commands of somebody that nobody else could see. And he said, this man is able to heal my servant. Let me tell you that a submitted life is a powerful thing. When people see that you are submitted to following an authority and you will not waver from it, they want to know who you follow. Because you're not following because you have to. There's just this, I want to follow Jesus. I want to please him with my life. And I don't care who sees it. In the movie Elf, that, that's what happened. You know, El, sorry, I can't help it. I just watched Elf like 482 times during Christmas season. And here comes Will Ferrell. He comes into his dad's office and his dad's in this big meeting and he says, I'm in love, I'm in love and I don't care who knows it. And he throws his hat and his dad's like, get out of here, you know. But he's just excited. He's in love. When you and I are in love like that with Jesus, it draws people to you because they don't have that kind of love. They, they don't have that kind of commitment to following anybody because they've not experienced that don't care who knows it feeling. And love isn't a feeling, but it kind of, it can start that way. When we recognize all that Jesus has done in order to procure eternal life for you and I, it's easy to serve him because it's, it's not because I love Jesus that I want to do what he wants me to do. It's because he's loved me. If you've ever been pursued by someone that loves you, 
It's refreshing. When I started pursuing my wife and trying to love her before, when we were dating, I started giving her little tokens. I knew she liked green bananas. I gave her a green banana before church one day, and she was just like, he remembered that I like green bananas. He wanted to bless me. When I took her flowers, I didn't know she'd never received flowers from somebody before. I took her flowers, and she was just giddy with excitement. She wanted to spend time with me. She wanted to do what I did. She wanted to follow my God. That's what those relationships do. That's contagious. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that uh, you have first loved us. And as a result of that, we've decided to follow you, but there are still areas of our lives that we have some confusion about. But we want to do your will. Just like Jesus came to do the will of the Father, we have come to do your will, Lord. And though we struggle with that, we know that your way is the best way. And so, Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. And the areas that we are confused about or we haven't decided what, what part we stand on, help us to first and foremost go to see what your decision is. And Lord, as we take hold of those promises and those teachings and those doctrinal traditions that have come down through Jesus and the apostles, and we, we want to follow you, but these things are hard, Lord, give us the faith to trust that your way is the best way. And as we take those steps of faith, give us the strength to follow through on it and to watch you pour out blessing on our life. Lord, thank you for your teaching. Thank you for Paul writing on a hard subject. Thank you for the ears of those who have listened today and given me grace. I pray that these things would be more than information, but they would be things that would help them to stir their affection for their love for you and for their homes and Lord, make us godly families. Show your love to the world through the way that we follow you. We ask this in faith and ex with expectation. And we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.